Hey there, my name is Kathy, and welcome to my podcast, That Chronic Thing. I'm here to share my experiences living with chronic illness, including ME, CFS, and MS, and offer support and advice for dealing with similar struggles. This show is a resource for anyone looking for support, advice, and a sense of community as they navigate life with chronic illness. I know firsthand how hard it can be to adapt to a new way of life, managing symptoms, finding a new rhythm, and doing this all while you're going to a gazillion doctor's visits. But through my own struggles, I've learned to find joy and laughter along the way, and I really hope you can do the same. So join me and other chronic illness warriors as we tackle the ups and downs of living with chronic illness together. This week, we have my friend Whitney Fox joining us from Maryland. Just like me, Whitney has ME-CFS. That's right, folks. We're continuing our discussion of myalgic encephalomyelitis in honor of ME-CFS Awareness Month. We'll start with a quick nod to our beloved chronic illness Instagram community, and then you'll hear all about Whitney's diagnosis journey. We'll talk all about patient-led research, including the founding of the Maryland chapter for ME Action. All right, Whitney, take it away. I'm Whitney Fox. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, how do, where do I start <laughs> with talking about my well, chronic I knew illnesses? You're comfortable because we met on Instagram <laughs> where you share quite a bit about yourself. I made my account, um, which is now called at it's Whitney, Witch because I'm a big Britney Spears fan. <laughs> um, I made it back around 2019. I think, um, when I was first getting diagnosed and learning about what was going on with my body. Um, and I'm really glad I did because in 2020, I really needed that safe space online around other people who understand what it's like living with a, uh, infection associated chronic illness through a pandemic. It's been challenging to say the least. Um, a big part of it for me has been doing like disability justice work and unlearning my ableism and a lot of that. So it's, I don't, I don't just follow people with my illnesses. I follow big variety of people on there. And I use it as a tool to educate myself. um, And yeah, to make connections with people because before I became disabled, I didn't really have a community that included disabled people and, or people that were at least visibly disabled or out about their disabilities. Um, And so it's kind of tough. Like we have to find that and create that ourselves when being disabled is so isolating in most cases, but it's such a beautiful part of the internet. (laughs) The internet gets a lot of slack, but this, it's just such a great little corner that we have where everyone is, everyone has similar experiences, um, but everyone's just supportive and lets you rant. If you want to rant, like that we don't police each other's language, you know? (laughs) So I'm really glad that I've had that have friends like you and, um, other people I've met over the past couple of years that get it. And I don't have to explain. And that like, if I say one thing, they know what I'm talking about and believe me without being like, well, 
well, can't you just ask your doctor for this? Can't you just get this? And it's like, uh, you know how long I've been trying to do those things. Do you want to try and help me? (laughs) There's no backstory needed. And there's uh, no, can't you just, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So my case, um, I guess is like, now I have a, a lot better picture of what's actually going on, but things really went downhill in 2009 when I was in college, I caught the swine flu H1N1 virus and I just never got better. Um, it stuck around and like looking back through my doctor's notes from that time, everyone says the same thing of if symptoms persist, follow up in two weeks. So I Mm -hmm. kept doing that and they didn't have any, they didn't know why my symptoms weren't going away. And so I was like, they were like, well, you're just going to have to cut back on your activities and stop doing so much. You're telling that to a college student who is working part-time, doing an internship, taking full-time classes, wanting to go to football and basketball games and socialize. Like I was not, I did not listen. (laughs) I did not cut back on, well, I did a little bit, but I didn't cut back like I should have. So at that point, I'd say I was probably living with mild Emmy and it went up and down. Um, so every few years when I'd have another big flare up, I would try again and go to the doctor and ask what was anything we can figure out here. And most of the time I didn't get any help or answers. Um, and all that time, did they ever refer you and I'm totally digging in, but did they ever refer you to a specialist or was it just a primary care who was like, whoop, I don't know. Well, that was the thing I really don't understand looking back is I was asking for very routine labs and very easy referrals. And I didn't have established care with a primary care physician because I was young, in college, fresh out of college, moving around. Like every time I went to the doctor, it was a new doctor who hadn't seen me before. Um, And because I didn't get any good answers from any other ones. So I kept jumping. Uh, but yeah, like even just getting a referral to an endocrinologist took me three years and getting diagnosed and treated with thyroid. Uh, I have Hashimoto's autoimmune thyroid, and that was a battle. And that should be pretty routine to test your TSH and your T3 and T4. But I have a family history of it and I still couldn't get them to run the labs. So yeah, there were referrals in there, but none of them ever really amounted to much. Um, I got referred for a sleep study that didn't show anything. Neurologist where the brain MRI and neck MRI didn't show anything. All these standard tests that we all go through this where the tests just don't exist for these illnesses. And we go through this, these routine tests and they tell us nothing's wrong. And then they give us an antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication. And then we have to deal with the side effects from that. <laughs> um, totally. Been there. Yeah. So it was that for a long time. And then um, I finally found a primary care that I liked who I still see. And she diagnosed me or she referred me to a rheumatologist because she suspected fibromyalgia. Um, and she diagnosed me using a code that popped up in my chart as MECFS, like it included the ME phrase, which this was in 
January or February of 2019. And that unlocked everything for me because when I was searching chronic fatigue syndrome, the information I found was not accurate. And it was all just reducing it to that one symptom of fatigue and not explaining the multi-system effects that ME has. So once I found that word, myalgic encephalomyelitis, and I found this community, I found all of my answers. Um, I've since been diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disease that has led to spinal instabilities. I had to have a cervical fusion. I had tethered cord release surgery. So my entire life I've been living with this spinal cord injury, (laughs) tethered cord, and I've had symptoms of it since my teens. And there's another one that I just had all these weird symptoms that they couldn't explain. And now I realize, oh, it was my tethered cord. Um, Yeah, just mast cell activation, dysautonomia, POTS, like the whole list, (laughs) the whole collection that you get when you have one, you seem to catch them all like they're Pokemon or something. (laughs) Um, I mean, you really um, have had like an onslaught of diagnoses like in the past like three, four years. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's all thanks to telemedicine. Except it is like a negative thing. So it's not so impressive. But if it was, you would be winning. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's all thanks to telemedicine, really, because that, well, I got to the point where I was totally disabled and bed bound before I got diagnosed with MECFS. It shouldn't, it shouldn't have to progress to that level of severity before a doctor believes you. Um, But yeah, like the only reason I've gotten all of these is from other patients sharing their knowledge and sharing their symptoms so that I can say, I experienced that too. What is tethered cord? Let me look that up. But I had my ME diagnosis confirmed by doing a telemedicine with Dr. Bateman of the Bateman Horn Center. Um, And then she gave me an outline of the comorbids that she suspected, which I could then take back to my specialists and my primary care. And um, that led to some some treatments that have helped me um, improve my ME baseline, like taking Mestinon for my POTS and taking low-dose naltrexone and some of these things that are kind of off-label. but Dr. Bateman sees a lot of patients like me that have this cluster and she really did a good job of outlining it. And then that showing that piece of paper to other doctors gave me a lot of credibility, whereas doctors don't want to believe just a patient on their own doing internet research. But when it comes from another doctor, that helped me a lot. Um, Even though you do incredible research and self-advocacy way more than me. I'm not good at digging into things. I don't have the energy for it. You were like attending a conference the other day, virtually. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't stay (laughs) up, up, uh, up to speed with what you were sharing, but, um, and we shouldn't have to, like, I don't know. I like learning and I like, I'm better at reading than I am at like hearing information and processing it. So I can read and look up the terms and learn them. And and you kind of have to translate what you're reading in these medical journals because of the the language that they use. And that takes a lot of privilege, um, which is one of the reasons why I advocate so much because 
I shouldn't have had to do all of that work, unpaid labor, and nobody else should either. Um, but with an illness like ME that's so neglected and underfunded, we have no choice. Like it's pretty much only patients and people who have a direct connection with patients that are doing the advocacy work and the research, like Emily Taylor with Solve, her mother has ME and Dr. Ron Davis, the researcher, his son has ME and Dr. Bateman, I think it was her sister. Like everybody who's in this has a personal connection to it. And we're all already having to manage the illness and its symptoms and how much it disrupts your life all by ourselves. And then we also have to do all the education and advocacy around it. We, it has to change, especially with how many of us there are now. So on that note, didn't you become a founding member of a organization or a local chapter? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You want to Um, tell us how that came to be? Yeah. Melinda, Melinda Lipscomb is my Emmy big sister. (laughs) Um, And we found each other on Twitter. Um, both of us have pretty similar onsets and stories with our Emmy. Melinda's became severe more quickly than mine did. I had like 10 years between my onset and my diagnosis. Um, but yeah, we found each other on Twitter and started um, working on some projects together. And um we decided to start our own state chapter in Maryland because Maryland is the home of the NIH and the NIH is really bungling this effort. (laughs) It feels intentional sometimes the, just how bad they've been with handling ME research. Um, But that was our main driver at first was we're in the home state of the NIH. We have to find people in power who can help us with this. Um, And both of us knew with our symptoms, we couldn't do this by ourselves, but together we could. And now we have such a good group um, that uh, people consistently are on our advocacy calls or checking in on our Facebook group or via email. So if you can't be on the call, you can still be engaged otherwise. And when I had my surgery and was out for a couple months and Melinda's having symptoms flaring, there are people there to pick up the slack. Um, and there are other people to champion this. So it's something that no one person can do alone. And um, building our advocacy group over the past couple of years, like we've found, we each have a little bit of a different interest too. So we're expanding and doing medical education, um, presenting to Hopkins neurology students about ME and long COVID. Um, And yeah, just, we want to do more of that where we can actually have a direct impact on students that are entering the medical field before they get in there and get jaded. Um, But it's a lot of work (laughs) and it takes a lot of cognitive ability with med students. That's incredible. Yeah. It was really great too. Like it was late at night, which was tough for me. And we did it virtually. Um, and they were in person in a lecture hall and we came off like the meeting was from nine to 10 PM. And I was like, there is no way these college kids are going to stay and listen to us talk until 10. And they stayed late and asked us questions and they were so curious and they wanted to know more. And 
it was amazing. Um, that is so to get wild. that kind of reaction from medical students where that's not the reaction we get from a lot of medical professionals, but, um, yeah, I really hope we can do more of that. Um, and also with the state chapters too, it's really great because, um, I'm linked in with these chapter leaders from other states as well. So we can kind of use their templates to do other things. So it's not like reinventing the wheel. Um, and yeah, there's chapters in California and New York and, um, I don't know. My, you know, my brain fog can't spit out these states, but <laughs> <You're> <laughs> they're all over. I should probably, you know, be involved. I, again, I'm the worst advocate, but I'm really good at sharing your posts and liking them and, and following. Like I know this month is, you know, Emmy awareness month. Did I, is that the correct title of it? Emmy CFS awareness month. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think there's a lot. There's also like, um, May 12th is world Emmy day. Okay. In addition to also being Emmy awareness day. So I don't know, people, people like to get all up in arms about the name. Um, and is it Emmy? Is it Emmy CFS? Is it CFS? Are they the same? Are they different? And Hey, as long as we're creating awareness for the right. we are sick with no cure and no like you know, uh, medicine that is like universally, what's the word? Um, applicable or like, yeah, no FDA approved treatments. There you go. I always phrase it. No FDA approved treatments. Um, yeah. And I mean, for me having those two names linked together is how I found out that chronic fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome is more than just fatigue. Mm -hmm. It's the syndrome throws people off. You cut that word off. It's a totally different meaning. If I didn't have them tied together as MECFS, I wouldn't have known about the, like the recent changes, like just in 2015, they changed the diagnostic criteria and it's not a diagnosis of exclusion. Like a lot of people think it is. It has a a pretty strict diagnostic criteria. There are a few different diagnostic criteria, but um, is criteria is the right word. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'll go with it. I'm cool. <laughs> Criterium. I don't know. <laughs> my heart. Yeah. I mean, I know, I don't know them by heart, but I know like, and I don't really know which is which, but I know there's like the ICC, there's the IOM, there's the Canadian like consensus. There's, there's a bunch, but yeah, some of them are like more heavily reliant on on post-exertional malaise as a symptom. Mm-hmm. That was um, for my um, diagnosis, but I know there were other things to be considered as well. It mm-hmm. wasn't just that I get PEM. I noticed yeah. that I say PEM and everyone else says PEM, um, but I'm on a mission to move people over to PEM. To PEM because it's easier. <laughs> one syllable. PEM, guys. Yeah. One syllable. We don't have the energy for three syllables. Yeah. And because when you do captions, it just puts PM, PM, not PEM, because I talk. Oh, <laughs> I need to start See? calling it PEM. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so we got PEM um, and we got some other crap that makes our lives miserable. Yeah. Orthostatic intolerance. That's the yeah. big one. Um, and that has helped me a lot too with going from being mostly bed bound to being able to actually do some upright activity. Um, that orthostatic intolerance piece is such, uh, 
I don't even know the word. Such a bitch. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So a lot of people will get POTS. I actually got not diagnosed with POTS. I got tested for POTS. Um, and they said I was like borderline that I, that I have never recovered my baseline from having a tilt table test almost three years ago for POTS. Um, I don't think that they need to do that extensive of testing to recognize when POTS is happening that the tilt table test was. Mine was relatively on me. I mean, I I still did not feel well, but I remember it only being about 10 minutes long. Mm. Um, and I was at a tilt and I was like, can we be done? (laughs) (laughs) That's where, that's where I didn't know yet to advocate for myself when I had the test where I should have stopped that test sooner, but I thought I need to get this data so that I can get approved for disability. Totally. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not great, but Um, I mean, I guess it helped me with my disability case. Um, and that's the other, I'm going to go off on another tangent now, but that's the reason why I advocate more strongly for ME than I do for my other chronic illnesses, because all of these tools that I've gotten access to and treatments I've gotten access to that can help me, none of it was because of my ME diagnosis. And that is my most disabling condition. Like I got denied for disability twice when the only thing I was diagnosed with was Emmy and POTS. Once I got the EDS diagnosis, it opened up all these doors for treatments. Um, People started believing me about other symptoms like my GI symptoms. I have gastroparesis also. um, And mast cell causes a lot of GI distress as well. Um, But yeah, once I had that EDS diagnosis, I qualified for a wheelchair and I qualified for um, people would give me uh, referrals to better, more respected doctors who understand connective tissue disease. And it's like, why can't we just listen to the patients when they're describing the symptoms of these things and get them to the right doctor? Why do you have to wait until the patient goes and seeks this out on their own to validate it? from another ditto, doctor. Ditto, ditto. Oh, that sounded weird, but yes. <laughs> I agree. Because as you know, last summer I got my MS diagnosis and it's like, oh, okay. Kathy has MS. Now let's, you know, uh, I was about to say, feel sorry for her, but that to be honest is what happened. Like people treated me differently And of course, everything you just said with the way um, insurance treats you, with the way doctors treat you, um, disability, I'm in the process of it right now. And I don't have anxiety about that process because I'm like, I have MS and that's it. Like, what do you want me to say? (laughs) Um, And that's what we need for ME. talking about ME-CFS with them because there's no biomarker and there's there's all of these other problems with it that make it really hard for people who want to fight you on it. It's, it's almost like it's political in that way. They're going to fight you on it. It feels like it's becoming even more political too, because half of long COVID patients are meeting the criteria for Emmy. Um, And 
our prevalence is going through the roof because people continue to be reinfected. Not just, I mean, and it's not just COVID that causes it. Mine was a different virus. Um, As was mine, it was mono or Epstein-Barr virus. Well, 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 we were just getting into the good stuff and uh, I faded out. What's with that? Well, uh, we're already over 20 minutes, getting into 24 minutes, 25 minutes, and I'm supposed to keep these episodes short. So I'll quit talking and I'll just have to continue with Whitney next week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed. If you are enjoying that chronic thing, do me a favor and leave a review in Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate it. Until next week, I hope you feel well. I hope you have a low symptom or even better, no symptom week. Talk to you soon.